You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. Like four steps that occurred, like in my head, like, okay, cool. <laughs> it's so, it's interesting. I think the the more I get out into the world and meet people who are doing the work that they absolutely love to do. It's really interesting. As I do that, I'm meeting more people who are doing that. And then we always find these interesting intersections in experiences that we have had, people that we know, circles of, of um, uh, communities that intersect in all kinds of interesting ways. It's really fascinating. Yeah, it is. It's uh, or- organizing and creating groups and creativity. Um, uh, Susie, uh, let's launch into the show. I'm with Susie DeVille, and we've already been talking and talking and talking. <laughs> so we uh, <laughs> wanted to bring the listeners in to uh, be able to listen to uh, our, our conversation. Uh, Susie, uh, welcome to Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you. I am delighted to be here. Yeah, and um, I, I know when I was looking at uh, the things you think about in your creativity that there'd be like just a whole bunch of uh, ways to go about, um, you know, asking you the big questions and, and learning about your work. So uh, we'll probably just ease into all that. But I wanted to introduce you and in, 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 in to tell about folks that um, – uh, Susie's an author. Uh, she's a coach. She's an entrepreneur. She's writing uh, a book. And um, I encountered her work from uh, a guest on the podcast, uh, David Verespi, who is a wonderful photographer and a friend of mine from the University of Rhode Island and uh, made the connection over to Susie. And she just does such uh, in- incredible work. I, I wasn't quite sure how how to start. But I know for you, Susie, it's been a bit of a, a, a journey for like where you are now um, using creativity and connecting to to that. Well, could you just tell a little bit about how you arrived to where you're, you know, uh, writing a book and have yeah. transformed yourself and, and your thinking? So I, I was definitely um, uh, one of the folks who believed that I was not artistic or creative growing up, um, and certainly believe that up until um, as recently as probably seven years ago. Um, and I had this very narrow definition of what creativity actually is. I believed that if you were able to draw or paint something in a realistic manner that actually looked like the subject that you were trying to capture, um, that meant you were artistic. And that was the very narrow focus, very narrow lens through which I I viewed it, which is strange because I grew up in a family with very creative, very artistic people. My father was an artistic entrepreneur and engineer, and everything he did was creative. Um, My mom um, is a retired school teacher. 
and I watched her create lesson plans and activities for her kids all throughout my childhood. Uh, my brother and sister are enormously creative, highly intuitive, imaginative people, and we played all the time outside, creating all kinds of little imaginary worlds. So for me to arrive in my 40s still believing that I'm not creative was kind of an interesting thing. And it just shows you how pervasive that cultural teaching is in us. And so I entered into the world of creativity through a door when I was in a um, innovation and creativity class, which was a part of my master's program. This was in 2005, 2006. And my professors showed us this episode, which was an old Nightline episode with Ted Koppel, and they were featuring the Palo Alto design firm called IDEO. And this presentation, it was probably no more than 15 to 20 minutes of a clip showing how this firm went about the process of redesigning an everyday object. It happened to be a shopping cart, but they mm. showed their design thinking process as well as the culture inside the organization and their values, which was to encourage wild ideas and that there's no, um, no bad ideas um, and that the group succeeds over the quote unquote genius of the, of the, single person, the lone genius. Yeah. Um, and when I saw this, the whole, my whole system just kind of went into an electric reaction. And I was completely enamored with the company, with this whole concept, with their culture. They were also blending ethnography into their field work. And I was trained as an anthropologist in, in my um, undergraduate um, education. And so I thought, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And it set me on this path of researching everything that I could get my hands on in the world of innovation and creativity. So that was approaching it through the way that I moved in the world, which was this very left-brained, intellectual, linear thinking, logical person. Um, and I was just gathering information and writing about it and working. I began working with clients and I would, I would take what I was learning and finding out and infusing it into the coaching work that I was doing with individuals and teams. And it was enormously exciting and satisfying. And it wasn't until I went through what I lovingly refer to as my nuclear winter, <laughs> <laughs> um, which was when the markets crashed in 2008. Everything oh my. in my life was oh. just on fire. Oh um, I was in real estate at the time. Um, so I began my real estate career in 2001, and I'm still a licensed broker. Um, but at that point, it was one of the main um, ways for us to to make a living. And my ex-husband was a contractor. So we had the double whammy to the household finances because everything yeah. just stopped. Um, but my marriage also stopped at that same time. So it was this point of just 
sort of sitting in this unrecognizable life. And what it gave me was this incredible opportunity to try new things. So I made the decision to launch my own real estate company in the middle of the Great Recession and also began really pursuing my own path to creativity. And at the end of this uh, trying time, which was around the end of 2013, I began traveling again, which I had done. I had traveled around the world and I had traveled all over Europe and Asia. And I had stopped when I got married and had kids. So when I was sort of relaunched into the world, I started traveling again. And that put me even more closely connected into this passion that I have for the world of art and art making. And Paris was the the linchpin there. Um, and it really just woke me up in a new way. And then I began taking art lessons and developing my ability to sketch and paint and do collage work and mixed media and photography. Um, and then I started writing and started sort of pull, pouring out of me this process that I had been through. And it wasn't until about two years ago that I started to put all of that together into a book. And um, I started with about 130,000 words. And it was this giant, drippy, gloppy mess of clay. And um, I began working with a wonderful mentor, um, editor and mentor and publishing genius who helped me shape it into a good manuscript. Wonderful. And... um... What is the uh, what's the timeline for 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 the book? Has that been set as far as the book? Yes, um, it is going to be released on September sixth of this year. So um, we're in the final phases of copy edit reviews right now, um, and then it'll go off to the printer. Yeah, c- congratulations Thank on that! I'm, I'm so excited by a, about a, a, about a lot uh, that you had to say. I, I guess um, you know. A couple of things that I would I would mention. Um, I I really connected what you were saying about the, you know, this narrow definition of artist and how predominant. I mean, I found it kind of wild how you enge- how you ended up with kind of the narrow, you know, for your own mind. And you know, I've been around a lot of environments myself where I should have had a more expansive idea as well. I think previously, but it's, it's very similar for me as far as self-identification with creativity and being artful and being an artist has really just been for, you know, the last five, six years of my life. And, you know, I'm 49, so it's a small sample. And again, being around where it feels like you should know better or reject more just out of hand and, and, and you don't shows how pervasive uh, it is. I had a particular question it had to do about creativity and the example you put about, 
I, I think you are pointing to kind of like this kind of collective work group process and the creativity that went around that. And it sounded so strange because it's not what we have in a lot of our environments um, to problem solve and, and, and to create. What what is what what do you think is the reason for the very narrow focus on solving things like in work or productivity and 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 why why is the creative kind of it seems to be marginalized why why do you think that dynamic uh, exists? Well. One of the things that um, I became involved with when I when I moved back from London to to Highlands, I was thinking about becoming a teacher, following in my mom's footsteps, and I got um, the idea to go volunteer at the school to just make sure before I went back and got another <laughs> another piece of paper that this was something that I wanted to do, and I had all of these. Um, wild ideas of all this creative writing work that I was going to do with these kids in high school. And they, the teacher invited me in and we started to have our first lesson and lecture. And I learned um, very quickly, there were a lot of kids who were not on grade level for reading. And so I scrapped that whole plan and long story short, ended up starting a literacy council in Highlands and what I learned was that this was my very beginning understanding of how the world is structured and how people learn and what their preferred channels for processing information are. It was my very beginning foray into this whole world. And what I discovered was that the world is set up for left-brained people. <laughs> Um, the educational world in particular. So if you think about how a classroom typically looks, everybody's sitting in rows, you get directions that are given to you, and it's one, two, three, this is how you do the work. You put your name on the upper right-hand corner of the paper. Um, and that works great for people like me. I'm wired to be left-brained. I was an ace in school. I loved being in the classroom. And I was very successful, but there were a lot of kids who don't process information that way, don't learn that way, who have a very different holistic mind uh, and process information in a spatial relationships way. They, they think more whole to part rather than part to whole. And those kids aren't reached. So the left-brained train sort of drives the agenda, in my opinion, of our earliest experiences. And if you're not fortunate enough to be in a school where the arts are heavily um, introduced and infused into the curriculum, you just exit that world. <laughs> you exit the, at the other end of your yeah. 12, 12 years and you don't have those um, sensibilities um, introduced to you and made a part of your everyday life. So 
I think it starts very young. And then I also think that there are these notions that creativity is not a path that has promise. It's riddled with boogeymen and briars and poverty, <laughs> you know, that, that you, you won't be successful if you do X, Y, Z. And I know I have so many clients in their 40s and 50s who are uh, products of being told their entire lives they had a passion for some kind of creative desire and they were told, no, mm -mm, you don't want to do that. That's that you're not going to be able to, to be successful. No, nobody's makes a living doing X, Y, or Z. So there are, there are lots of reasons why I think that um, people tend to latch on to the idea, oh, I need to get the thing, I need to do the sure thing, which is ironic because if you hate it, <laughs> um, how successful are you going to be at it? And the chances of us finding success in the thing that we hate versus the thing that we love is vastly different. Um, so I think that our, our tender hearts um, have been walled off in some ways from the world of creativity and art. And in fact, one of the things that I talk about in the book are what Brene Brown refers to as these art shaming incidents you know, when we did try to create something and then either a friend or a peer in the classroom or a parent or a sibling made so much fun of it that we never dared try it again. Yeah. And uh, those 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 are powerful. But I think I, I, I'm, I'm glad for our conversation to be able to tap into the like what that what that is, you know, and, and open up that uh, open up that area because I know that's where a lot of your work in, in, in energy is. Okay. I want to ask, you know, uh, a, a big, a big question. It's from two different directions. One is, you know, um, kind of your, your experience in seeing maybe art around the world and come in contact, um, uh, with that, but also, um, how we define what art is. And I want to ask that question uh, of you because I think it's, it seems to be really important <laughs> connected to creativity. For you, what is art? So art to me is not only the product of our creative expression, the things that we make, um, but it's also, importantly, this process which I think is more important than the ultimate product. And I know that it is, of course, we want to see paintings and we want to read poetry and read books and we want to go to performances, absolutely. But for the art maker, I think the, the most important aspect is this, your, this moment in the act of creating. And that's where we scooch up to the threshold. And if we get on the other side of this resistance, you know, Pressville talks about the, the inherent resistance that we have to creating. 
if we get on the other side of that, pierce that veil and we get into the work and we get lost into the work, we have this moment or these series of moments of transformation where we feel something in our bodies and in our, with every sense that we don't feel otherwise, that we don't experience otherwise. And there's also something happening to our awareness when we're making, to our courage muscles. We have such a greater ability to surf the waves of uncertainty because we're going into the unknown when we go into this process, whether we're at a typewriter or a computer or a piece of paper, there is this creation of something from nothing. (laughs) And that is magical and mystical and so much fun. Once we get over the sort of the mind funk of I'm not good enough. I can't make this. I'm an imposter. It's an, all of those kinds yeah. of thinking. Um, but it's, to me, art is this, this journey, um, what I call a creative rebel's voyage. It is this process of taking your inspired action and entering into this crucible where you take something abstract, an idea, and you make something out of it, and you are transformed in the process. Dang, I don't have the mic drop noise. Uh, <laughs> it's a independent podcast here in Oregon. I don't, but uh, <laughs> oh. um, well, and 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 thank you because I, I think one of the things I what I've heard and kind of gets me excited is, is the energy is like some sort of breakthrough is some sort of radical juncture of, of a way to exist that is disruptive in a radical, like you said, a move from, you know, the mundane and existing in that. And I'm really, um, I'm really interested. I want to, in this particular question, Susie, and you talking about uh, the creative act of writing. So I'm, uh, I'm, uh, you know, English lit major philosophy guy, consume books in a very, you know, intense manner, um, audio and, and reading. And, uh, I've done some writing, but never extensive and never in the big manner, uh, that I feel like doing. So, I'm probably most fascinated by uh, the transformation in writing or what writing does in that process, how it impacts you and, and how you create your thing. What, what, with, with writing? Yeah. With writing for you, what, what, what happened? Well, I always loved to keep a diary when I was a kid. And I don't know if you know the book, Harriet the Spy. So yeah. <laughs> she was, she was a, a role model. I mean, just the, the, not the spying part, but the paying attention part and the jotting down of notes. Um, so that part I, I had as a child, but it really wasn't until probably into my well, right around the time uh, my my son was born, 
I began to write in a journal, and I didn't know it was morning pages, a la Julia Cameron from The Artist's Way. I didn't know it was morning pages, but that's what I was doing. And I was processing my my basic, my um, fears over parenting. I didn't know if I, I had the right stuff. <laughs> I was so anxiety ridden. I thought, I, I don't want to mess this up. How, you know, and I had all these jumbly thoughts. And so I thought, I'm just going to write, start writing all this down. And it was enormously cathartic and helpful to me. And I could just get up in the morning and write several pages of all of this gunk that was in my head, get it out on a piece of paper, close the notebook, and then I could give Adam all of me. He had my full attention, my best self. And so after several years of doing that, I became um, very much a believer in the power of journaling. And then when I read The Artist's Way and saw how doing morning pages, which she refers to as it's three pages of longhand that you write every morning. Um, and it's just a collection of your fears, your frustrations, your triumphs, the things that excite you. Um, it's just a way to get everything out of your mind and move on. She used that as a way to explain how you could link that to creative recovery that switched something on in my mind because then I realized I'm not just doing kind of a brain dump here of what's happening inside of my heart and in my mind. I'm opening myself up to something else. So it wasn't just getting it down. It was also getting something in. And I thought, hmm. So I started really devoting and practicing and, and being consistent with morning pages. And that was my bridge to beginning to write blog posts about creativity and these ideas that I was having from the research that I was doing around innovation and creativity and the work I was doing with entrepreneurs and creators. I was starting to pour that into something that looked and was much more cohesive and into these um, short pieces because I still couldn't quite figure out how it all fit together, but I just started writing blog posts that were from the same energetic stance of morning pages. Ah. I wasn't worried about it being great. <laughs> I wasn't concerned that it wasn't complete. I was happy to prototype it and get it out there and put it up for the world yeah. to see it. And so that was kind of the progression. And then it wasn't until a couple of years ago where I really got clear after having my own experience in the world of making art myself then I started putting the missing, the, all these little skips of the record that I had around how everything fit together started to make a lot of sense to me. And that's when I 
transformed my writing of these little blog posts into a, um, a new framework for how to, to think about creativity. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I was, I liked, um, to hear about how you allowed yourself on the, on the blog, just to kind of extend some of the way you were writing before, just like not perfect. The piece isn't done, but it's almost like bumping to somebody up on the street, right? Like it's not all rehearsed and everything like, Hey, here's what's going on with me. Here's what's happening. And (laughs) allowed for that. Yeah. Well, and, and, and for me to come from the world of academic writing, it was a big change. And for me, a recovering perfectionist, it was a big change. (laughs) Um, But what was interesting to me was even though it wasn't complete, quote unquote, it resonated so well. I had so many people write to me and say that you've just described my own experience or this is, this is, I feel the same way or I'm worried about X, Y, Z too, or I don't understand this about my own creative journey. So I started getting um, immediate feedback that I was onto something deep and profound with the human experience. And it was okay if it wasn't completely dialed in. It was okay if it wasn't perfect because it had it, it had an accessibility to it that also gave people the, the, the sense and the uh, confidence to reach out to me. They didn't have, their ideas weren't fully formed either. So it was, it was a really nice um, confirmation that these little, these little breadcrumbs of ideas and thoughts were accumulating into something really interesting. Yeah, and I, it probably felt uh, very human to a lot of folks. Not, not, not a you know, this object you know to respond to, and you know, is is a way to is a way to interact and converse, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. Um. Uh, I really lo- thank you for taking the time on on writing. I've actually had uh, a couple writers on recently, and I, I get on these writing jags, and uh, <laughs> I, 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 I adore I adore writing, and I I adore the written written word. Um, Susie, um, uh, so many different things to, uh, to talk about, but I wanted to uh, ask another uh, a, a big question. Um, and it has to do with, you know, who you are. The big question I have is, um, what or who made you who you are now? Well, I grew up, um, and I'm biased, of course, but I grew up in one of the most beautiful places in the world. So the landscape of the mountains of Western North Carolina, these old, rolling, worn nurturing mountains um, influenced me greatly. And I spent a lot of time as a kid out in the woods, playing in the woods, creating these imaginary worlds and talking to trees (laughs) and um, appreciating the beauty of this place. 
So I was tuned from a very early age to understand the power of nature and beauty on how I felt and how I thought. And I also was alone. I, I mean, even though I had tons of friends and a brother and a sister that I played with all the time, I also spent a lot of time in nature alone. And it let me hear myself think and understand how I saw myself in the world and get clues about what it was that I loved and a lot of important self-knowledge and understanding of what I dreamt about and what really brought my energy up came from this landscape. So it was hugely impactful. Um, and of course, my parents and my brother and sister um, influenced me tremendously. Always um, the sort of um, messaging in the household was kindness and tolerance and love and um, the appreciation of, of art, whether it was man-made or from Mother Nature. Um, and also a spirit of, of giving back and being a good citizen. Those values were hugely influence, um, influential on me. Um, and then also, you know, of course, my good old nuclear winter <laughs> and yeah. um, my own creative rebel's voyage, my own path to discovering my creativity. Um, and also my son, Adam, um, he is such, I, I used to call him my little Buddha um, because he would teach me the most amazing things unintentionally. And um, especially when he was a teenager. <laughs> um, and he's, but he still does it. He's 22. Um, but I was reminded by Adam to reclaim my playfulness and to not work so hard and let go of expectations and ideas of what something should be. So he has this incredible way of encouraging us to stay into the heart of who we truly are, which is fascinating to me because that's what my whole book is about. <laughs> so in many ways, he, he is both my ideal reader and the inspiration for the book. Wow. That's powerful. <laughs> and I think even I got even tripped up listening to you how like you were getting good, good advice from uh, <laughs> your son during the teenage years. I was starting. It's that flip. It's that radical flip, right? Of like, yeah, you can learn. You can learn. Oh, um, oh, I was routinely schooled. <laughs> but in I, a beautiful way. In a beautiful I, way. I love it. We're talking with Susie DeVille, uh, author, coach, uh, entrepreneur. And Susie, I uh, want you to tell me, to tell the listeners about your Innovation and Creativity Institute. What's, what's, what's that? What goes on? So it is the, the home, um, which is currently online, um, but I hope to create 
a physical space and studio. Um, and my work is with entrepreneurs and creators, and my passion is really to help entrepreneurs and creators create aligned, exceptional enterprises by reclaiming their inspired creativity and leveraging the power of who they truly are. So I created this framework uh, to coach clients and I learned that I could get people to their end desired feeling state, which for the most part, people are really looking for freedom. Um, success, yes, but that's also, you could say that's also roped into freedom. And I learned that if we can inspire ourselves and go through this process we get to the places where we want to go. And it has absolutely nothing to do with more productivity, which is what we're taught. It has nothing to do with getting really great at management and strategies, although that is important, certainly, as a part of the, the creative and entrepreneurial path. But we need to do what Paolo Coelho talks about, which is we need to inspire ourselves, literally breathing in beauty, passion, what it is that we love, time in nature, being with the people we love. We need to fill ourselves with all of that first. So inspiring ourselves. Then we have the ability to expire, which is to create and so many of us get caught on this gerbil wheel of, I got to do more, I got to do more. I'm not doing, I'm looking over here and I'm seeing this person do this. I'm seeing these people do that. And I think I need to be doing all of these things, working harder, buckling down, discipline. And those things take us much further away from what it is that our heart wants and what it is that we want to have happen. So if we take inspired action and we then begin to create and make art, the process of creating then is the vessel or the bridge over the moat of self-doubt. <laughs> and to me, when I think about all the things that have kept me back in the past, which I used to label as just fear, I learned that it was fear, but it was fed by a healthy diet of self-doubt. <laughs> so interestingly, it's the doing, it's the creating that gets us over that and into a place of where we trust ourselves and we have agency back in our lives. And once we're there, we can then get back at the helm of our own lives and our own creative passion and our own passion projects. And from there, it's a matter of protecting and fueling our creative energy, making sure that we're continuing to restore and replenish, have good boundaries, manage our energy well. And at the end of this cycle is what we're dreaming about, which is experiencing freedom in a way 
that we only thought was possible for a few people, but never certainly ourselves. Yeah. And you said, Susie, you said uh, a big couple words that stuck out for me is uh, trust yourself, right? Is it 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 trusting yourself in that. How do you get folks to the point where they're there? Like they, 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 they trust it. They trust themselves. Well, it's that magical moment of crossing the threshold of approaching the work, approaching the project, approaching the creative act and going forward. So it could be for an entrepreneur, it could be launching or creating a new product, let's say, or a program. And the, the, all the self-doubt talk, which is, I don't have what it takes. I don't know all the steps. I don't have all the technical stuff figured out. Um, I don't have the resources. Um, who am I to even think that I can even possibly do such a thing? And what we don't know is that you're, you're qualified <laughs> in the doing. It's the process of going into it and not knowing, being, being willing to not know, to not have all the pieces, to not be able to see how it's all going to play out. How is this all going to fit together? Is it going to all fit together? So it's the willingness to start and the heart to keep going, even when you're in the woods and it's completely dark and you can only just keep your feet from getting tangled up in the, the roots that are all around you or the rocks that are all around you. You're only able to just not trip, but that's enough. And we're, we're, we're unaccustomed to being in so much uncertainty. That's where art making is so brilliant and so fulfilling and so transformational because it builds the muscles for us to stay in the place of uncertainty and just to keep making the next step and doing the next thing and understanding that we, nobody knows what the heck they're doing. <laughs> somebody, if somebody says they have it all figured out, they're fibbing. Yeah. Um, but when you embrace this uncertainty and surrender into it, all the universe starts to conspire on your behalf. It's amazing what happens. You get ideas, support comes to you, connections come to you, understanding of a new idea that you can try and prototype and give something a go. All of this starts to happen. There is a magic in the doing. And if we're willing for it to be ugly <laughs> and kind of like Bambi on the ice of like out of control looking, out of control feeling, if we're willing for it to go through these leggy teenager awkward phases, we're going to be just fine. We're going to make something amazing. Um, we're going to learn a ton. We're going to be changed in the doing and the thing will you will create it, you will make it, even though 
when you start, you can't see how that's even remotely possible. Yeah. And, and I, I, I heard a lot, uh, of, 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 it's not two different ways, but two different components as far as that transformation and, and, and the individual and, and how they go through the transformation. I've also been really intrigued, uh, in, in, in comments that you've had around the general environment, such as where you are, um, you know, Western North Carolina, you talk about, I haven't been to that particular area, but you describe the environment and, and, and where you're creating. And, um, Prior to going to a couple of big questions right at the end here, I, I wanted to ask you, Susie, about about the just the the, in, the environment you found yourself in the physical locale environment, for which which is helpful um, for you. When you talk with folks, you talk with clients, and, and you discuss this. Is is there something that somebody who's needs to be in the right space, the right spot to create? Is is there something people should be considering? Well, I think that beauty is something that we all need much more of in our lives. And how you infuse it into your daily existence is, is in and of itself, I think, a creative act. Um, but if you don't have maybe the woods to scamper off to or the beach or some other scenic spot, we can create um, beautiful moments and beautiful um, energetic exchanges, beautiful states of mind, one of the things that I talk about in the book is curating a beautiful mind and very intentionally, like you're a museum director, and instead of putting beautiful things on the walls of the museum, you're, you're putting beautiful things on the walls of your mind. So that's, that's dissolving limiting beliefs. That's having intentional thinking. That's using the power of meditation um, that's using your creative um, acts to to bring beauty into your body, into your mind, into your daily life. And just one practical thing that people can do is just to create a place in their home where it's filled with what what they love. If if they have one corner that has a few special things for them that connect them to what it is that brings them alive, that has a unique power in and of itself. And if you start there and then you branch out to be more of an adventurer on beauty's behalf <laughs> and you look for it because you can find it in the most incredible ways once you start to pay attention. Um, one of the things that sketching taught me was how routinely closed off from the world that I was. And I understood after being forced um, how to see again, see in a new way, I started to see lines and shadow 
and shapes in the world. Even standing in line at the grocery store, you can be moved if you let yourself see with with a completely new set of eyes. And if you're seeking beauty, you will definitely find it. We our, our minds tend to look for evidence of what it is that we believe to be true. So if you believe that the world is beautiful and filled with beautiful things, you will see them everywhere. And that to yeah. me is a very powerful and, and transformational way to, to live. Yeah. Thank you. And there's such incredible power uh, within that. I, uh, I found myself in the unenviable role of like, I find myself listening to you because I'm captivated by what you're saying, but I'm also hosting a show. So I, I start to relax a little bit more and being like, okay, I'm learning. But I, I do have to, I do also have to run the podcast for the uh, audience's uh, uh, behalf. Okay, Susie, big, uh, big question. Uh, and I think you have some insights into this. Why is there something rather than nothing? Well, I believe that consciousness wants to create. And with my very rudimentary thimble full of knowledge about quantum physics and how it works is that I understand that there, when there is a wave and we put an energetic wave and we put our attention and intention on it, it becomes a particle. So we have this incredible ability to create something from nothing with intention and attention. And this, this force that's in the world that Dylan Thomas in his poem said that it's the force that through the green fuse drives the flower. That's the force of creativity. That's consciousness wanting to create. And we're filled to the gills with it. (laughs) And the universe is filled to the gills with it. And therefore, acts of creation are happening all the time on every kind of quantum to macro level and it is the driving force I think of of the divine and of life itself life wants to exist consciousness wants to create so I think that all these little slices of potentiality become something through love and compassion and through our curiosity and joy and also through our pain and through our trauma. All of those things, those little slices of potentiality are transmuted through the acts of our own creating into something. 
And those are things that move us and take us into our hearts in new ways, heal us, heal others, and engage in this incredibly interesting energetic exchange that defies time and space and reaches shores of unknown destinations. When we put these little messages in the bottle and we drop them into the sea of consciousness, we don't know who's going to pick those up and what they're going to think when they read it <laughs> or experience it. Yeah. But we're yeah. bonded together um, regardless. I may never know who picked up the bottle and what impact it had on their life, but we are now quantumly entangled through this act of creativity. And that to me is amazing. Yeah, it is. That, 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 that really is amazing. I, I, um, I, uh, appreciate your answer as well. I, um, you know, asking this question over time, um, you know, um, physics, philosophy, uh, the mundane, the profound. Um, I really appreciate your thoughts and I really appreciate talking to you, Susie. I mean, I, I've like, I, I kind of, I, I kind of mentioned, uh, you know, <laughs> listening and, and learning, um, but just there's some themes in, in, in my show and many things that I've learned. I've learned so much, uh, but you know, the, the integration of, of healing, of, of, of healing to creativity, of expression, things like uh, freedom and, and, and comfort and health. Um, it's you keep really getting into that. And those are just so important to me. It's part of why um, I explore these questions and um, explore them with you. But um, uh, Susie, before before um, we let you go, I wanted to open uh, this up. I know you have, uh, I know you do a lot of incredible things. We talked about the book and we talked about um, the the Institute, but I was wondering if you could kind of like let listeners know how to connect with you or, you know, what you do in a, in a way that's comfortable for you as far as what you have um, and how you interact with uh, artists and, and creators and others. Sure, sure. Um, the easiest way to see what I am up to and connect with me through social as well as um, you can sign up for my newsletter. You can um, take a look at my website. That is just to go to imetsusie.com and that's S-U-S-I-E. So I'm at Suzy.com. Um, also, I would love it if people would take a look at my book, which is called Buoyant, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Becoming Wildly Successful, Creative, and Free. Um, take a look at that. You can pre-order it now. I would love for folks to see that. Um, and also, I think um, the best way for me to describe what it is that I do is is to say that when I work with entrepreneurs and creators, I am really in a support role in their wild season of becoming. And I use what I have learned 
over the last 15 years in terms of research and my own experience, as well as my entrepreneurial experience and my own Creative Rebels voyage to be a Sherpa on the journey (laughs) and to help entrepreneurs and creators really reconnect with who it is that they truly are and leverage that to be at their highest and best to do the work that they came here to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I really appreciate, um, what you do, Susie. And I find it, um, I'm particularly moved by the ideas that I engage on this show. And, um, I really appreciate really a lot of very helpful, helpful, things that you mentioned and it just kind of ways of looking at things and getting right at the, the crux of things. I've enjoyed uh, receiving your newsletter and um, your materials. And it's actually really helpful for me a lot of times to dislodge um, some deep patterns in like my daily live life that I need dislodged to do uh the, the bigger stuff, the the stuff that makes me feel like I'm free, like, uh, and, and expressive. Yeah. That's the key. Um, sometimes I refer to myself as the chiseler in chief, meaning I'm all about getting that concrete off <laughs> and setting people free to, to enjoy this lightness of being, this sense of freedom. And in that place, it's the ultimate playpen for whatever it is that you want to create. Yeah. All right. Um, Susie, as I mentioned, and as you could probably guess, uh, it's been a, a great pleasure to, to, to talk to you. And, and, and thank you so much for coming on to the, to the podcast. Um, it, uh, I've learned a lot, and that's one of the big reasons I do I do this show and I'm sure the, the listeners did uh, as, as well. So everybody check out um, uh, Susie DeVille um, and uh, that book, uh, Buoyant, um, uh, pre-ordered the book. Uh, I'm very, I'm very excited. Uh, and I know Susie had mentioned, you know, working with a great editor and a great creator at the same time. Um, I'm sure it'll be very helpful for folks. But Susie? Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and and truly hope to talk to you soon. It was a absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I had such a good time being with you, Ken. Thanks, Susie. And you take care. You too. This is Something Rather Than Nothing 